I'm talking with Dr. Kulpreet Varn. He is a cardiologist and the medical director of the Heart Failure Program at Deborah, and we are talking about heart failure. Could you define it for us? A lot of heart diseases, such as high blood pressure, diabetes, heart blockages, heart attacks, can eventually lead to, or inflammation or infections, can lead to uh, permanent damage to the heart. And then the heart is not able to pump blood to the body, and that's essentially what heart failure is. Uh, when the heart is not able to meet the demands of the body, um, there are two types of heart failure. One is where the heart fails and it doesn't pump properly, and the second type is where the heart doesn't relax properly so it doesn't fill, which in turn leads to less blood going through the body. So there are two types of heart failure, which, which is a result of all the diseases uh, that can affect the heart. So how common is heart failure? What's the age group generally? It's definitely a disease of the elderly. Um, as you go into your 60s, 70s, it's, uh, the, the prevalence increases, but in the United States there's about six million people uh, living with heart failure. And as I mentioned before, half of the, there are two types, and it's split evenly. 50% uh, will have where the heart doesn't pump blood to the body, and 50% where the heart doesn't relax properly, and that leads to not pumping blood properly. So there's a very common disease processes. If, if you look at any hospital discharges, heart failure is usually the top two common reason why people get admitted to the hospital. So it's a very uh, common and prevalent disease process. Well, yeah, you said six million people living with heart failure. Mm -hmm. So what does it mean then to be diagnosed with heart failure? Well, um, there are a few things. First, uh, you know, you'll uh, have, uh, there are common symptoms that, that patients should look for. And once you have the symptoms, uh, you know, you get diagnosed with a certain tests that we do, a specialized tests. And once you uh, get diagnosed, it's very important to follow a good treatment plan with a good cardiologist or heart failure specialist. And if you do that, um, it is not, uh, we've made a lot of progress over the last 40 years, and it's not, a, it's not necessarily a death sentence, but a chronic disease management issue. So if you have a good treatment plan, you have a good physician working with you, and you take care of yourself, uh, people can live years uh, with heart failure rather than months. So it's, uh, there are a lot of good treatment options, so it's very important that uh, if you are diagnosed, that you surround yourself with the right team of uh, physicians. Okay, so we're going to break all of this down. Let's define our population then a little more. Who is more prone to heart failure? Sure. Of course, you know, um, uh, there's, there's genetic causes, meaning there are people who are born with genes that leads to heart failure, but there are certain things that are under our control that can lead to heart failure, uh, such as smoking, uh, heavy uh, drug abuse, alcohol use, un uncontrolled blood pressure, uh, diabetes. Uh, these are very common diseases that we normally, primary care physicians deal with, that if they're left untreated or if patients don't follow a good treatment plan, can later on lead to heart disease and then, a, a worst case scenario, heart failure. So these are the common diseases that can lead to heart failure and th they should be treated very aggressively at earlier stage. Do we call it heart failure or heart failure disease? The term heart failure should cover both the disease process. Congestive heart failure is when you actually have fluid on you, which means you're congested. Uh, but heart failure is a general term that we use to cover both when the heart pumps okay or doesn't relax properly. We've talked about who's more prone to getting heart failure. Is there a difference between women and men in terms of the risk right. factor? Absolutely. So, you know, women tend to be diagnosed at a later age, uh, where men get diagnosed earlier age. Uh, women tend to have the heart failure where the heart doesn't relax properly. Men tend to have heart failure where the heart doesn't pump properly. Uh, women, when they're diagnosed, have, uh, there's a way we measure how much the heart is pumping called an ejection fraction. 
Uh, women tend to have a higher ejection fraction. Men tend to have a lower ejection fraction. Uh, women tend to have be a little bit more prone to more high blood pressure at that age. Men have lower blood pressures at that age. So there are definitely differences that we see. The hearts are thicker for women. Uh, the hearts for men are more usually uh, like balloon-like. They're dilated and big. So there are definitely sex differences that exist uh, due to many factors. We talked about the disease processes that can lead to heart failure. And there is some research recently that, that isolates diabetes without all of its symptoms, things like high blood pressure, the obesity, all of these things that are often part of the package. But for someone who is just diabetic, who may have better managed symptoms of diabetes, yet just being diabetic is something that is a risk factor. Absolutely. So when we look at, when we study heart failure patients, uh, we have ways of determining what risk factors are independently can lead to uh, heart failure, meaning if you have nothing else, and if you just had the one risk factor, are you more prone to have heart failure? And study after study has shown that just being the diabetic alone can be a risk factor for developing heart failure. So uh, your, your diabetes has to be aggressively treated. Uh, it is a good uh, prevent, preventive strategy to have a good endocrinologist or good primary care doctor and have good control of your sugars. And there are many reasons why that happens. I think some we still don't understand, but of course, uh, uh, inflammatory, increased inflammation, high blood sugar, low to the uh, heart muscle. So uh, there are definitely independent reasons how diabetes can affect the heart. Independent of the usual things Absolutely. that we worry about, the high blood pressure, the, the kidney. It's an independent issue. risk factor for developing heart failure. Amazing. We learn all the time. So let's talk about these symptoms that will send someone to their primary care doctor with a suspicion of possible heart failure. I always give my patients the analogy of the car and the engine. When the engine is working fine and you press on the accelerator, you can go 90 miles an hour, and when the engine starts to fail, uh, you can't go more faster than 50 miles an hour, then 40, then 30, then 20. Uh, your body's somewhat similar to that. Uh, your heart muscle is sort of our engine where it, it pumps blood to your brain, your muscles, your lungs, uh, your legs. So when your heart starts to fail, it doesn't pump enough blood and the oxygen doesn't get to your tissues, you have similar effects. You won't be able to walk as far. You won't be able to climb a flight of stairs. You will get more short of breath. You'll feel tired and fatigued all the time. In some cases, uh, you won't be able to lay flat. Then eventually you'll start building up fluid in your legs. Your legs will start to swell up. So those are the kind of common symptoms that lead to heart failure. So if you have risk factors and uh, you start to experience these symptoms, you definitely need to be seen by a physician right away and appropriately sent to a heart failure specialist if needed. Is this a, a group of symptoms that you need to be keeping track of, or is it, you know, one or two should be a red flag? You know, there are always um, patterns. Uh, of course, most people will not just have one symptom, but rarely I'd see enough heart failure that I will see one symptom, but commonly, usually, it's multiple symptoms. A more com most common symptom is, uh, like I said, the analogy of car and the engine. You won't be, if I have to summarize it, I'll say the things you could do before you can't do anymore. Uh, if, if that sort of, that strategy covers all the symptoms, you'll be more short of breath. If you go to the grocery store, you'll need to take breaks, you'll be tired. So usually it's a combination of symptoms, but rarely we will see patients with atypical symptoms that present with heart failure. And how do these symptoms generally differ from other diseases? Uh, that's the reason why sometimes it's misdiagnosed, because heart failure can mimic other disease processes too. But in general, if you experience these symptoms, regardless of heart failure or not, you should be seeing your physician because it's something is definitely going on, even if it is not heart failure. You talked about these varying symptoms and kind of a cascade of things that happen. So stages of heart failure, there are different stages then. 
Yeah, so there, you know, we divide, uh, when, when the, there are two types of heart failure, like I said, where the heart doesn't pump properly. Well, if th that type of heart failure, we divide into different stages, uh, stage A through D. Stage A is our people like who are diabetics, hypertensive, who are at risk for having heart disease, but they haven't developed uh, problems with the heart yet. And then as they progressed, stage D is where the heart has failed so much that medications and pacemakers aren't working. You need to move on to things like a heart pump or a heart transplant. So those stage A through D, as they progress, we stage them. Uh, so those are the different stages for uh, heart failure with reduced ejection fraction. For the other type of heart failure, are there stages then that you We follow? classify those patients. There's no problem, as you can imagine, until the heart pumps okay. So there's no, uh, the heart doesn't fail uh, until later stages. So we don't have stages for that kind of heart failure, but we do both types of heart failure. We do, do divide you according to your symptoms, which is uh, something we call near heart association functional class. Uh, that's just a fancy way of saying we assess how much you can do. Class one is you can do whatever you want. Class four is you need a heart transplant or heart pump. So as you progress, we'll classify you accordingly. And the reason we classify you because it tells us how much time you have to live and also tells us what we need to do. Uh, someone who's class one, they, we need to focus more on, on medications and a lifestyle modification where if you go to class four, we know we need to go towards aggressive therapies like heart transplant or heart pumps. Is there any type of heart failure at any stage that can be reversed or cured? Or is it generally we're managing it no matter what? Yeah, so uh, it's a great question. It depends on what caused the heart damage. There are certain, certain reversible disease processes that we can reverse with medications or cer certain treatments. Uh, so cer certain things like uh, heart blockages, if you come at the right time and we diagnose your heart blockages, we can put stents in or bypass and improve your heart function. There are certain infections or inflammations, we can give you medications to improve that. So certainly just because your heart is damaged, that doesn't mean it's forever. But for some people it is. So if, it's, if there's something reversible we, we can find, we definitely get aggressive and treat that and try to cure you. Um, but if, if it does lead to a permanent damage situation, but there's certainly great treatment options now that you should definitely uh, surround yourself with the right physicians and, and a team, and you can certainly live a healthy life. There are people who are, have heart failure who work as uh, engineers, uh, construction workers. Uh, as uh, you know, we know, our vice president, uh, Dick Cheney, had heart failure. Uh, so you can certainly live a, live a life and uh, be productive as long as you surround yourself with the right team. Are there differences in that area between men and women in terms of the the, the treatment and the um, the we outlook? No, the, the medications are not different. They're the same for the, they're not sex uh, based, but the the type of heart failure can be vary between males and females. So depending on the heart failure we treat, we pick the treatment options not by male or female. Talk about this quality of life that a person can have with living with heart failure. I, I tend to see really sick patients because uh, they have, they've been managed by their cardiologist and as I see mostly class four or stage D heart failure. Uh, so I routinely see patients who, when I see them, they can barely walk uh, 10 feet uh, or 20 feet and they're tired all the time, they're struggling, they have no quality of life, they're homebound. They, usually, they sometimes come in a wheelchair to my office and then it's very satisfying to me that uh, with the treatment options we have with medications and sometimes pacemakers or in, in some class stages where we put in heart pumps now at Deborah uh, left ventricular assist devices, they start walking half a mile a day, a mile a day. And uh, so we, we can, they can, they can have a significant improvement in their quality of life. It, of course, like any treatment option, it does have its side effects or it comes with its own complications, but certainly as quality of life is considered, a uh, vast majority of patients will get benefit by, by all the treatment options we have. The non-medical treatment options, 
diet, exercise, how does that play in? It's very important. It's actually more important than, than even um, certain medications because if you, don't, if you take your medications but don't follow a diet plan, we're not going to be able to help you. It's a combination effect. That's why it's a team approach. It's not just Dr. Barn giving you pills and that's it. It's, it's a commitment by the patient, the family, us, our team, our nurses. So there's a group of, uh, we have almost, I, I say, we have an army of people managing our heart failure patients where we have nurse coordinators, nurse practitioners, and myself. So these patients have to be monitored very carefully. They have to weigh themselves every day. They have to limit their fluid intake, their salt intake. Uh, they have to exercise regularly. Even if with that bad heart, you can condition it and get more out of it. So that treatment plan uh, is part of the treatment plan. It's not just taking pills. Uh, lifestyle modification is very important as well. So you have to do daily weights, uh, follow your salt intake, stay in touch with your heart failure nurse practitioners if you gain weight because then we can avoid hospital admissions and, uh, and also improve your quality of life. You know, we're talking about a disease of significantly elderly people in many cases, and yet exercise, it's still useful, helpful, no Absolutely. matter the age? We routinely, um, when we have heart failure patients, refer them to cardiac rehab, which is well, one hour a day, three times a week. It's a 12-week, uh, three-month program, and uh, I've never had a patient come back and hate it. Uh, so uh, absolutely, exercise is definitely part of the treatment plan of heart failure. And you talked about restricting certain um, foods dietarily, the, the fluids, the salt, which makes sense, especially in a congestive heart failure situation. But are there foods that strengthen your heart? There are no foods uh, that strengthen your heart, but there are certain vitamins or you can take like fish oil. Once you get heart failure, really, it's not like you can eat uh, a Mediterranean diet and your heart function will improve. Uh, that really has to depend on the, what, what caused the heart failure. Is it reversible? Are you on the medications? Uh, but a diet does not change. It can make you retain fluid if you have too much salt, um, but it won't cure you. So it's more a, a dietary restriction. In our American diet, you can probably get thrown off pretty easily. Absolutely. We, we have patients who struggle with that. Um, general rule of thumb is that if you take your pills and you follow your fluid restriction and salt restriction, you do really well. And if you don't do one or the other, uh, you will struggle. Who should you see for heart failure and why? Uh, I think it's very important that if you're having symptoms, reach out to your primary care doctor if you have access to a uh, general cardiologist because a heart failure cardiologist like me is not available in every city, uh, every county. We're fortunate in our area we have a program, but if you're in a, c a community where you don't have a heart failure cardiologist, access to a heart failure cardiologist, please reach out to your local primary care doctor who will refer you to a general cardiologist or a heart failure cardiologist, depending on who's available in the area. And once you've been diagnosed, uh, depending on your stage and how much support they need, they'll refer you to a regional heart failure program. Uh, but I think your first point of contact is your a primary care physician or if you have access to a general cardiologist. How long does it take to get an accurate diagnosis? The testing involved, the, sure. all the things you look at, the places you'll get sent to before you realize you, you absolutely have a form of heart failure and now we have to set up a plan. How long does it take to find out? Um, usually an office visit where we uh, have take history and examine the patient which is combined with some blood work uh, which can be done the same day. And then uh, same day or within the, the another day, we bring them back for a test called an ultrasound of the heart. So with the history, the blood work, and the ultrasound of the heart, we can get a glimpse of 
what's going on. So it's not, there's once the patient approaches a physician, it doesn't take months. The tests are pretty quick. They're non-invasive. It doesn't hurt you in any way. So there's no downside of getting yourself checked out uh, because this doesn't, it's not a cumbersome process. So if you're having symptoms, please reach out to your physicians uh, because they can, you can get diagnosed very quickly these days. I'm talking with Dr. Kulpreet Varn. He is a cardiologist and the medical director of the Heart Failure Program at Deborah, and we are talking about heart failure. What kind of questions should uh, you bring to your physician? So I think uh, what you do is you approach your physician, you let them know that, hey, six months ago I could go to the grocery store now, I get tired, I'm short of breath. Uh, these, will, these will be the red flags that your physician will see and then uh, put you through the chain of testing that I just talked about. In Basically, general, report your symptoms to your physician if you're having them. And the physician will certainly know how to ask Absolutely. the questions. Absolutely. Just try to empower everybody on both sides here. Absolutely. Is this something that uh, one should get a second opinion for? Uh, I think certainly um, if you, uh, I think if you approach a team and uh, your symptoms are not improving and there's a question, absolutely there's no downside of, I think I shouldn't say second opinion, I think perhaps uh, reaching to, uh, to your regional advanced heart failure program uh, because uh, they, you know, at a regional advanced heart failure program, there are physicians who just specialize in people with heart failure. So they have uh, different testing modalities, different uh, ways of testing you so they can figure out your diagnosis or accurately diagnose you. So I wouldn't say necessarily a second opinion. I would say get if you're with a team uh, that uh, is surrounded by general cardiology, primary care doctor, maybe get an opinion from a heart failure cardiologist. And when you're with this team, you're with this team forever? Yes. Once you have a, heart, a patient with a heart failure and uh, you know they're going to have heart failure, but there's nothing we can reverse, then generally we'll follow them closely. Um, because, you know, uh, even despite medications and lifestyle modification, patients will progress to end-stage heart failure. And the timing of that diagnosis is very important because if you delay, 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 then you're not going to be a candidate for those advanced therapies. So periodically, you will always be in touch with your advanced heart failure team. So you're with a team. How might your treatments change over time? Well, uh, once you're first diagnosed, we focus mostly on things that we can reverse. If we can't reverse something, then you know you have heart failure a lifelong. And then we focus on guideline-directed medical therapy, which is a fancy way of saying uh, we keep you on all the good medications that make you live longer, feel better. We optimize those medications. And then certain patients will progress. And then we can put in uh, defibrillator pacemakers to improve your symptoms and your longevity. But there are patients who, despite all that, keep progressing, progressing as the heart fails. And then as, as you reach end stage, uh, that's when I come in and uh, that's where we proceed towards uh, ad advanced therapies like uh, IV infusions, uh, called melanone, uh, heart transplantation, uh, impl implantation of left ventricular assist device or LVADs. All right, so let's talk about these treatments then. We start with meds. What kind of meds and what do they do? Uh, there are a few classes of medications that we put you on, uh, certain medications like uh, ACE inhibitors, uh, RNA, uh, and then we have our beta blockers, and then we have our uh, medications, uh, mineralocorticoid antagonists uh, like spironolactone. So uh, we, these are three classes of medication, and I always tell patients that, yes, they help you with your blood pressure and heart rate, but that's not the only reason we're giving you. These medications are, uh, an, as an analogy, are chemo, your chemotherapy. People who take these pills live longer than the ones who don't, and that's a fact. So, you, you know, these medications are beyond just blood pressure and heart rate control that you have to be on them lifelong because they improve your symptoms as well as make you live longer. So you're on the meds, and depending on what, how your symptoms and your condition is progressing, 
you could stay on the meds, but then you may need to add. Right. So uh, also, so those are the meds that make you live longer. Then we also give you water pills to make sure that you don't retain fluid. And so we keep on this course. And then if your heart failure progresses or doesn't improve, then we put in things like defibrillator pacemakers, which are minor procedures. Once you progress, then you move on to advanced therapies. Okay, defibrillator pacemakers, minor procedure, and yet you're still, you're still literally implanting a device. Yes. As an outpatient? Uh, yes, these are usually outpatient procedures. You can come in the morning, get them done. They're a small incision or a small cut that we in your chest and put it right underneath the skin. So it's not a major invasive procedure. Uh, it's a minor procedure, usually very safe. It can be done at any specialized center where they have electrophysiologists. So we've got the beds, we've got the lifestyle, we've got possibly the, the pacemaker. Then we may get to something much more advanced. Right. So usually so patients, despite that, will progress, unfortunately. Um, because these patient treatments aren't 100% effective. Uh, so they'll, despite these medications, they'll still be tired, fatigued. They'll keep coming back to the hospital because of fluid buildup. Those are all signs that your heart is failing despite all these treatment modalities. And then we go on to what we say aggressive or end-stage heart failure therapies such as uh, IV infusions, heart transplantation, or left ventricular assist device. We save them till what we say end stage because these are uh, aggressive therapies. They require open heart surgeries. Uh, these pumps have uh, complications that can occur, so it has to be a risk benefit and individualized to an each patient. And that's what our team does at Deborah. So when someone has been diagnosed with heart failure and gets into a treatment program at whatever stage they're at, how, are, how will they notice the improvement in their quality of life? Yeah, so we see a lot of um, end-stage heart failure patients. By the time patients come to me, they've been living with heart failure for sometimes up to a, upwards of a year, two years. They've been short of breath. Uh, some patients are so, so symptomatic that they come in a wheelchair and they can't walk more than 10 feet. And it's very satisfying for our team that depending on what treatment we offer them, if it's a pacemaker or changing their medications, that they're able to walk half a mile a day. And if they do have end-stage heart failure, we're able to implant the LVAD, and within a couple of months, they're back to where they were five years ago. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's a very satisfying for us as a team. Of course, it's very satisfying for the patient that although they went through a surgical procedure, uh, but they feel so much better. Now, we're not talking about running marathons or, or bench pressing hundreds of pounds. Although, you know, we've had patients uh, who, uh, after getting their LVAD, go back to work. Uh, they work 30 hours a week or 35 hours a week. They drive, uh, they travel, go on vacation, they go fishing. So, yes, yeah, certainly you can go back to a normal life. It's not that you just get the LVAD and you just sit at home and, and, and they're only able to walk 50 feet. People do go back to a normal life. Uh, they do have to follow a treatment plan and take care of the pump. For certain patients, especially younger patients, they really see the benefit of it. And there are patients who are younger that can run, that can go to the gym, that can walk on a treadmill. So it's, uh, it's, it's essentially taking over the function of the heart. And like, as I said, I always find out, I always ask patients, uh, they'll tell me that they're back to where they were five years before they met me. Who at Deborah Heart and Lung Center treats heart failure? So it's a team approach. We're very fortunate that uh, one of the uh, unique things about Deborah's Advanced Heart Failure Program is that it's sort of a one-stop shop in South Jersey. It's a team approach of a heart failure cardiologist, electrophysiologist, interventional cardiologist, and then eventually then we need our surgeons if the patient progresses. And also during this time period to manage you day to day, we have our heart failure nurse practitioners, heart failure nurse coordinators that keep an eye on your, your weights, stay in touch with you about your diet, make sure you're on the right medications. So it's a team approach. And uh, fortunately for people in South Jersey, Deborah is fully capable of managing stage A through D heart failure.
So all of these stats that these nurse practitioners and, and other team members are evaluating, uh, is the patient sending them in like by smartphone, you know, keeping track? How much is the patient keeping track of? So, you know, we usually give them instructions and then uh, majority, I would say 90 plus percent of patients are able to manage on their own, but we give them certain high risk features if your weight goes up to call the nurse practitioner or if you're starting to gain, uh, retain fluid in your legs, give us a call. Uh, and then we have our certain high, high risk patients that are in that phase of in between failing medicines and moving on to end stage heart failure. Those high risk patients get weekly phone calls, uh, sometimes even uh, monthly office visits to make sure to keep them out of the hospital, keep them comfortable at home while we're evaluating them for then end stage heart failure. So let's talk about all these aggressive treatment options that are available here at Deborah that you're not necessarily gonna find in your community? So, uh, you know, uh, Deborah's administration about three years ago uh, made a strong commitment to the community and patients of Deborah because we have so many patients with heart failure here that uh, tr traditionally our patients were uh, traveling hours to get care in the surrounding area. And I think Deborah's administration uh, and made a strong commitment to create an advanced heart failure program where our patients should not have to travel hours anymore. If they've been coming here for 10 years for their heart blockages or procedures or, or heart failure, that when they have end-stage heart failure, they shouldn't have to meet a new team and start their care all over again. Right. We want to provide these services for our patients because, you know, they get, they're get sick at that time, traveling is tough. So because it, that was the vision of the board's administration and uh, part of that vision was, of course, recruiting uh, heart failure cardiologists, which was myself and our, our nurse practitioners. So we started the Advanced Heart Failure Program about a few years ago here at Deborah, and uh, now we're a fully operational Advanced Heart Failure Program in the region. We're, probably, we're the only ho hospital in the area that is able to perform left ventricular assist device. So if you live in South Jersey, we're a site for you instead of traveling to North Jersey or Philadelphia area. The left ventricular assist device, the LVAD. What's the state of the LVAD? We've talked about this before, uh, but you're popping those things in all the time now at Deborah. Well, uh, not all the time but for appropriate patients, but yes, uh, we are a site now. Uh, because of our patient, we are a high volume site. Uh, the LVAD technology has transformed dramatically over the last uh, 20 years. So now, if you pick the pa right patient at the right time, they can certainly have years uh, added to their life. And the newest pump actually the two-year survival is equal to heart transplantation. So the newest devices have become very small. Uh, they're easily implantable. They still require open-heart surgery, but the length of stay in the hospital, managing them after where the complication rates have gone down so low that it has become a very acceptable therapy for most patients. It is labor-intensive. It does require a team. Uh, at a Deborah, that's led by, from the medical side, by me. And then we have our surgical director, Dr. Paul Burns, who implants these uh, LVADs in patients, who's very important and part of our team. Because of that, uh, we're able to help these patients. But the newer devices have definitely gotten uh, much better and much the risk profile has become very acceptable. Yeah, the big key here is that an LVAD means not having to wait for a transplant. Yes, yeah, so you know there are patients that uh, there are a small percentage of patients that we will refer for heart transplant younger, uh, or who have certain um, certain profiles. Um, that's that we will refer for heart transplant. But vast majority of our patients are elderly; they're not candidates for transplant. So most patients that we see are are LVAD candidates at Deborah. But if you are a transplant patient, we we certainly refer you. Uh, and, but we can manage you locally when you can come back. So it depends on patient's profile, who gets what uh, therapy. So I want to understand this properly about LVAD because this is such an amazing option. 
when LVAD became more accepted as a, as a technology, did this suddenly become something that meant we didn't need as many heart transplants, we could do LVAD instead, or is this just an additional modality? So if you look at heart transplantation, it's a great, a great treatment, one of the most powerful treatments uh, in cardiology is heart transplantation. The survival is excellent. Unfortunately, over the last 30 years, the transplant volumes have been stagnant. There is only about 2,200 to 2,500 patients in the United States that get a heart transplant. But we have, depending on what papers you read, we have anywhere between 25,000 and 50,000 people who qualify for heart transplant. As you can imagine, 90% of patients, meaning 9 out of 10 patients, will die without a heart transplant. So that's why the ELVA technology has been paralleled and been being developed because practically speaking, we cannot create 50,000 heart transplants. We can create 50,000 pumps though to help those patients. So, uh, so yeah, the vast majority of patients either die or do not get to a transplant and that's why LVAD has become a life-saving uh, technology as well as therapy for these patients and we're very fortunate that the third generation heart pumps that we put in at Deborah now, their survival is matching heart transplantation up to two years, uh, which has been a tremendous improvement in the quality and the technology. So LVAD, how does it work? To simplify, it's, uh, it's basically a heart pump that sucks blood out of your bad heart and it, it pumps the blood to the rest of your body. So it basically takes over your heart function completely. So if your heart is not pumping, we attach this pump to your heart, it sucks the blood out of your heart and it generates the same power that a normal heart will have and pumps blood to the rest of your body. That's why patients who get these pumps feel back to normal. They're able to walk half a mile a day. They don't feel short of breath anymore. They don't feel tired anymore and they can have uh, a normal life. How soon do they feel the effect? Usually it's open heart surgery. So um, the first month is uh, they go through the surgery, they have to go to, through a rehabilitation program. Usually, depending on, usually elderly patients takes a little while. But usually I would say at about a month, two to, at two to three months, they're about 80%, 90% better. But usually about four to six months, depending on uh, your age and your recovery, uh, you're back to 100%. Wow. So why Deborah for treatment for heart failure? The reason for Deborah is I think we've always, Deborah is a, historically has always been a great cardiac care hospital uh, and has led in many ways in New Jersey. And even now in South Jersey, we're the only comprehensive advanced heart failure program where if you come to Deborah, you do not have to go outside of Deborah for your heart failure treatment. You, we are able to manage stage A through D heart failure patients. We have all the specialists, all the staff that you need to take care of your heart failure. We have electrophysiologists, interventional cardiologists. We have a great team of nurse practitioners uh, in electrophysiology as well as our heart failure team and nurse coordinators that you do not need to leave the inst institution. It's a one-stop shop. And then once you develop end-stage heart failure, we have phenomenal surgeons that are led by Dr. Paul Burns that would implant the pump for you so you still stay with the same team that you've been working with for years. The main thing is that if you're still having symptoms um, and you're not getting better, uh, you need to see an advanced heart failure team. If you live in our area, if you're close to our area, you definitely need to come see our team at Deborah because we have different testing modalities that are not available in the community to accurately diagnose you and get you to the right treatment options. So I think if you're listening out there and, and you have heart failure and you're not feeling good, uh, feel free to contact us and we'll hopefully we'll be able to diagnose you appropriately at the right stage and then get you to the right treatment strategy. If you, let's say you have end-stage heart failure and you come to us before your kidneys or your liver fails, we can definitely put these pumps in you and give you years uh, in return, but do not delay. Delaying doesn't help. That's the key part is that if you're not feeling good and you have heart failure, 
and you're not getting better, you need to see an advanced heart failure specialist. And if you're close to Deborah, come see us at Deborah so we can get you to the right treatment option quickly because then we can add years to your life. How do we find out more? If you have any questions, if you want to be referred for more information, please refer to demanddeborah.org. And delaying never helps. If you have symptoms and you've been diagnosed with heart failure and you're taking your medications and you're not getting better, you 100% need to uh, go see an advanced heart failure specialist. Well, I'm talking with Dr. Colpreet Barn. He is a cardiologist and the medical director of the Heart Failure Program at Deborah, and we're talking about heart failure.